The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Wednesday edition of PFTPM, three weeks in the books. Week four coming tomorrow night with the Lions and the Packers, as promised. I'll do one of these every Wednesday all season long. Coming up today, we're going to include the audio of my Tuesday interview with Jets receiver Garrett Wilson, just because we needed a place to drop the sound, and we're dropping it in the middle of the PFTPM week four podcast. I'll answer your questions on the back end. There isn't a lot today that I feel compelled to get to that we haven't already discussed in the PFT Live venue. The issues with the Jets, the effort by Colin Kaepernick to send a letter of all things to Jets GM Joe Douglas to ask for a chance to lead the practice squad in the weekly preparations of the defense. We talked about all that earlier today. There are a few things I want to get to, just a few, and then we'll hear from Garrett Wilson, and then I'll answer your questions. I want to start with this because I was surprised to get this phone call last week. And I mention all this because Sunday is the first London game. Falcons at the Jaguars. The next week, the Jaguars stick around to take on the Bills. And I saw a clip. I think it was from Shefty's podcast, Peter O'Reilly, NFL executive, talking again about how within the next 10 years, there could be a team in Europe, specifically London. And if there would be one team in London, there would be two. Last year, the commissioner at this same time as these games were happening, throwing out the possibility of four teams, a full division in Europe, a couple in London, maybe one in Germany, maybe one somewhere else. They're talking about playing a game in Spain, game in Brazil. So I understand that every year, there's urgency to create interest in the games by dangling this carrot that the horse may never catch of having a team full time. And for the last 10 years, it's been, well, within 10 years, there'll be a team overseas. It's something that reminds me of when Tom Brady, before he said he was going to play till he was 45, he would say, I'm going to play 10 more years, 10 more years, 10 more years, 10 more years. Eventually, he had to say 45. The NFL, 10 more years, 10 more years, 10 more years. What if this is all it's ever going to be? There are too many factors and too many issues that come into play when you talk about moving a team to another country. You've got tax issues, exchange rate. You've got players who won't want to live in Europe. You've got road trips that last not Saturday night to Sunday night, but three weeks, maybe longer, when the team in Europe comes back to the United States and plays multiple games instead of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like any other team. You've got issues with postseason games. If a European team hosts a game on a Saturday after the regular season ended on a Sunday and a team like the Chargers has to play at the team in Germany, it's a hell of a flight 
with only six day turnaround. Now you could say, well, those games would be played on Sundays and there are ways to buy a little more time here or there. It doesn't change the fact that you got a team flying from California to Germany or elsewhere in Europe to play a postseason game. So there's a lot of stuff. And anything you would do to maybe help the European teams by way of extra draft picks or extra cap space, well, then if those teams become wildly successful, well, we're doing too much. It throws everything out of balance. All that's a precursor to the phone call I got last week from a well-tenured and respective and respected, excuse me, team executive who surprised me with the comment that was made. The comment was this. When are we going to drop this nonsense of playing these games overseas? It's not moving the needle the way that we thought it would. Now, I'm not aware of that. I thought everything was going great. They fill up the stadiums. But the problem is, even though they fill up the stadiums with the hardcore zealous fans, and of those fans, we are very grateful. A lot of them watch PFT Live on Sky Sports weekdays. I think currently 6 o'clock their time, the show is on. But is it really resonating with broader European society? It's a big deal for a niche crowd or niche if you're feeling extra fancy. But is it a big deal for the country at large? Does it get coverage in the media there the way that more popular sports do? Is the NFL just banging its head against the wall not making any real traction. And I've said time and again, this is a 100-year experiment, but we're 15 years in. What kind of progress is truly being made as it relates to getting traction, getting a foothold for professional football in London, in Germany, and elsewhere? Now, it could be that Germany ends up being the place. It could be that Germany supersedes England, all due respect to our friends in England. But Germany got Chiefs Dolphins this year after the way that Germany welcomed the Bucks Seahawks game last year. And it felt like a conference championship game. That's how Peter King explained it. So maybe some other country emerges as the one that becomes the home away from home. I was just surprised to get that phone call last week with that note of exasperation from someone who's been in the league for a long time as to why are we still doing this? It's not working. First, I'd heard of it, and I'm going to continue to listen for those kinds of indications. But is it really working? How much longer will it last? Will there ever be teams in other countries, or will it just be this variety pack of games that go from the U.S. to Europe or elsewhere four, five, six, seven, eight times per year? couple of other things that I've been paying attention to, and this is the platform I use to delve into some bigger picture issues, some league-wide issues, some things that the league should be concerned about, whether it is, whether it isn't, whether it's concerned as much as it should be. I saw something yesterday. I mentioned this briefly on PFT Live. There is a company, and I have it right here. It's called Genius Sports. It is the exclusive data and sportsbook video partner of the National Football League. It has a new product called BetVision. It allows sports fans to stream NFL games and place wagers within a betting apps video player. That comes via Joe Lemire of Sports Business Journal. It was in yesterday's Morning Buzz edition of SBJ. BetVision will initially go live in the Caesars and Fanatic Sportsbooks, and BetRivers will join them later in the 2023 season. The idea is 
you'll have low latency feeds and the ability to make wagers in real time. Now, it's not no latency, but it's low latency. So it's not exactly what's happening at the stadium, but it's pretty damn close. And that opens a whole new universe of betting options for fans once that's available. It's not yet at the point where it will be coming through your normal TV feed or your apps-based TV feed through your wireless hookup at your house. It's going to be on your phone. I assume you can project it to your larger screen, but you still have to manipulate your phone to make the bets and whatnot. This is one of the, the steps that I've been anticipating from the moment the Supreme Court opened the floodgates for legalized sports wagering because it makes every game, no matter what the score, into basically a casino in your house. You know, when you walk up to a craps table, even if you don't want to do the whole, you know, bet on the shooter to win or bet on the shooter to lose, and the odds are actually better if you bet on the shooter to lose, but the people at the table don't like that. You've got all these other things you can bet on that are determined one roll at a time. Snake eyes, there's odds for that. The field, which looks great. looks like a lot of numbers, a lot of potential numbers, but the odds are just rigged enough so you're more likely to lose than win over time. But you can do one roll at a time, independent of anything that's helping at the craps table. You can do whatever you want one roll at a time. Well, the same thing with, with this. doesn't matter if you bet on the game from a winner and loser standpoint, either money line or with the points taken into account. Doesn't matter if you made prop bets, first touchdown scored, over under for yardage totals, et cetera. Just watching the game, a couple bucks on this play. And I don't know how granular it's going to be. I can imagine at some point it's going to be as simple as run or a pass. I mean, they'll try to do it if they get the odds right so you can bet on anything and everything that happens. How many yards are gained? Who gets the ball? Is it a first down? Will it be a touchdown? Will this play be a run or a pass? Who will the pass go to? Who will throw the pass? Although that one probably is a little bit too, too lopsided. But there's all sorts of ways it can go. And it's another example of how the NFL needs to be vigilant about inside information. Because if we're making bets based on not just the outcome of a play, but the premise of the play, run versus pass, if somebody knows that, if somebody has access to that information, if somebody's signaling to someone information of that kind, any types of hand signals to give away inside information, somebody on the sideline with that knowledge, could be a problem. It could be a problem for the NFL. And the NFL needs to be very creative about these issues, try to get ahead of them, solve them, prevent them from becoming a problem that can embarrass the NFL, avoid a Tim Donahue type scandal. And I say that very broadly not just an official who's trying to fix games, but anything untoward, anything from anyone who is within the NFL bubble that is trying to do something to leverage legalized gambling or illegal gambling in the states where it's not yet been permitted for some sort of an edge, some sort of a game, something other than just showing up and doing your job. And if you're part of a team trying to win the game, period, and nothing else. I just, I worry about that because all it takes is one big scandal and the sport gets harmed by it. The sport that I love gets harmed by it. The sport that you love gets harmed by it. It's important for the stewards of the sport, the guardians of the shield, 
to try to ensure that these things don't happen. So there isn't something, some agency, some effort, something that diminishes how the sport is viewed coast to coast and beyond, given the ongoing effort to globalize pro football. So here's hoping they get it right. I mentioned in an item at PFT, I got a manuscript that we're trying to figure out what to do with it that delves into some of these issues. It's obviously, number one, an effort to be an entertaining, compelling, character-driven page turner. But at the same time, since I know so much about these issues, I think so much about these issues, I try to envision a not too distant future, but but an undefined future where there's more teams, more games, games every day, and this ability to bet in real time on something as simple as run versus pass and how that can go haywire if you have one person who gets in with the wrong crowd and sees it as a way to supplement or or dwarf his football income simply by tipping someone off to what's coming next on that next snap. Last big picture topic for today, and it is a repeat of something I wrote on Sunday during the games. I want to make sure everyone understands this, though. How many times do we see a game featuring an official who is looking right at something and gets it wrong? Latest example, the Amari Cooper play along the sideline at the Titans 40 on Sunday, where he's clearly in bounds. Makes the catch, he's in bounds, it would have been a touchdown. The official who was right there said he went out of bounds. He's the only person in the world who thought Amari Cooper was out of bounds. And it may have just been brain fart. It may have just been stuff happens. But it's a prime example of why officials need to be full-time. Because when they're not full-time, it becomes easy for someone like me to say, hey, if that guy had been a full-time official, maybe he wouldn't have made that mistake. If that was his only professional focus, if he wasn't distracted by his regular job, if he didn't have an issue where I got to get to the airport after the game because I got to get home because I got this going on tomorrow in my law practice or whatever it is that I'm doing. If your only focus is this game, here and now, and when I'm done, I'm going to go to Dallas or Kansas City or some central location. We're going to have meetings for a day or two. We're going to focus on everything as relates to trends and making sure that there is consistency among the calls and doing things to ensure that guys don't make mistakes in those moments. If you do that, yes, there will still be mistakes, but it becomes much harder to say that the mistakes are the fault of the league because the league treats it as an oh-by-the-way occupation. The league has been cheap about officiating. It's been cheap about the head of officiating, Dean Blandino himself, after he left the NFL for Fox, told me on PFT PM five years ago or thereabouts. The NFL doesn't value that position of the VP of officiating. That means the NFL is cheap. The NFL is cheap in so many ways. All the technologies that could be embraced, whether it's at the goal line, whether it's something higher tech than two sticks with 10 yards of chain, that sometimes get bungled up and sometimes requires an index card to determine whether or not the first down was achieved. There's so many ways the game could be and should be reimagined. I think they need to tear it all down, the officiating function, and build it from the ground up in light of what's available today. But whether it's money, and someone suggested to me recently, it may just be they don't want to put the effort into it. It could be laziness. Why do we need to do it? Why do we need to do it? Game's fine. Game's fine. Bad calls happen. For every bad call, there's a good call. You get burned this time, next time it'll help you. 
Why are you complaining? And, and I remember the time that Jeff Fisher, who was coaching the Rams at the time and was on the competition committee, co-chair with Rich McKay, he made some flippant remark along the lines of, well, you know, we want to give you guys some things to talk about in the media. Well, thanks, I guess, if you want us to talk about how the NFL is cheap, how the NFL is lazy, how the NFL isn't willing to do what needs to be done to safeguard the integrity of the game. As someone said to me recently, if we're going to get twisted up about integrity of the game issues because some guy is sitting in the locker room during offseason workouts placing a bet on his phone on some other sport, and that's an affront to the integrity of the game, why are we not doing everything we can to ensure the best possible officiating, the best possible technology, the best possible calls, getting it right more often than not? And yeah, you know what? It wouldn't be good for my business if I didn't have these things to talk about from time to time, but I'd gladly make that trade off because we'd find other things to talk about. And at least we wouldn't be worried about the possibility of the NFL being hindered by some sort of legislation, prosecution, regulation that really takes the heart out of the game and puts it in the control of bureaucrats who may not have the best interest of the game at heart. The people who currently run the league need to start acting like they've got the best interests of the game at heart and not their own best interests, whether it's how much money they're going to make, how much time they're going to spend working because they don't want to take the time necessary to have the meetings and put in the effort and make the arrangements to rebuild the officiating function. So that's where we are. That's where the NFL needs to go. I'm not holding my breath, but the good news is, as Jeff Fisher said, it gives me something to talk about. Right now, you're going to hear me talking to Garrett Wilson about the things happening with the New York Jets. This is my conversation with Wilson from yesterday. After that, I'll answer some of your best questions of the week. So without further ado, here's Garrett Wilson, Jets receiver. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Joining us now, the man who was the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year for the 2022 season three games into his second NFL campaign, Jets receiver Garrett Wilson, who is here on behalf of Courtyard by Marriott, which is partnering with Garrett to spotlight 
the ultimate New York Jets fan room. Welcome back, Garrett Wilson. How are you doing, pal? Man, I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? Good. And look, we're going to get to some of the issues you guys are dealing with now. And I'm sympathetic to what's happening, dating back to what was just 15 days ago with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, my God, it's barely been two weeks that this has happened and your season's been turned upside down. But, but from what I can gather, the average New York Jets fan that would have the ultimate New York Jets fan room would right now have a dartboard with Zach Wilson's picture in the middle of it. What can you say to those folks to get them on board with your quarterback? Um, yeah, man, I would just tell them to stick with us. No one, no one wants this more than, more than us. Um, we're working every single day to, to make sure that y'all have a lot to root for on, on Sundays. Um, and, and, you know, with, with that said, you did just say, you know, our whole season um, had a big, you know, change in it 15 days ago. And and for us, that was a big adjustment. Um, we're still figuring it out offensively. And, and it's not just for us to put one dude on the dartboard, you know, you got to put that whole offense on the dartboard because none of us are playing to our standard right now. And, and we're going to continue to keep grinding to make sure that, you know, that's not the case anymore. And Garrett, from your perspective, personally, when you look at all the buildup, everything from the offseason, the pursuit of Aaron Rodgers, he joins the team, you go through offseason workouts, you go through training camp, you have hard knocks, you have the preseason, it's all building and building and building. And then four plays into the season, it's over. How do you process all the various emotions and reactions and feelings when something like that happens? Yeah, man, I mean, um, I, I kind of talked about this probably last week and, and you really don't, you really don't, you can't process all of it just because of the name of the game is, is you're expected to be at your best. You know, in that case, it was 10 minutes after or five minutes after or the next day at practice, you know, you're expected to be at your best and compete at a high level. And, and um, you know, the reality of it is, is, is we play a game that's violent and, and stuff like that can happen, man. You never want to see it happen, but, but we know what we put online every time we take that field and, and things like that can remind you um, just how precious it is to be playing and, and to be out there at that moment. Um, but yeah, man, you, 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 you really have to turn it off and on. I mean, I, I was emotion, emotional initially and, you know, three minutes later I'm running the next play, which is really crazy. But, um, but yeah, man, that's, that's just the reality of the game we play. You know, we have to move on. We have to be able to, to put the, put it together on um, to play, you know. Give me one tangible reason why fans should think that things will in time get better um because you see you see glimpses of every week every single week you see what we can be you know we put it together for for one drive two drives and and we look good but it's it's about bottling that up and, and making it a consistent thing um and that's what we're trying to find right now how we can bottle that up and take it in the next week so that we can you know start off the game rolling like that um you know we've started slow in the past and and that's what we've done these last three weeks. We started really slow, and that we don't want that to become our identity. Um, but the last three weeks, we've we've started slow, and that's what it is. So, if we can try and figure out why we're 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 playing better at the end of the game, or why we score more points at the end of the game, and, and take that into next week, that's what we're trying to do, man. And we're, and um, I know coaches on that, and I trust our, our people upstairs. But um, as players, you know, just knowing that our mindset at the end of the game is like, let's go win the game, let's go take back. We have to bottle that up and take that earlier into the game as well. On Saturday night, your Ohio State Buckeyes won the game at Notre Dame on the final play. And you guys almost won on the final play. Take me through the Hail Mary. I watched every angle of it. It bounced off your shoulder at one point. Take me through what you did on that play and what you were looking for. Yeah, I mean, um, 
it all happened fast. We had the big play before for about 30 yards, got down to a point where we could, you know, had a chance to throw Hail Mary. And um, you're kind of tired. You got to go run it down, man. It's, it's everything on this play. You know that you have a chance. And for us to even have a chance to win at that end of the game felt like, you know, we got something that maybe we didn't deserve. You know, for us to even have that chance to throw it in and have a chance to, to win the game. So, um, yeah, man, you're running down. And, and I'm kind of remember not being able to jump at all, but not knowing why. Um, and then you watch the film and you're like, oh, he's boxing me out. You know, you see why you can't, you can't move. But, uh, yeah, man, I thought I had a play to jump jump up and catch the ball straight up. I couldn't jump, so the ball goes over and it hits off something, and then I see it come back into my field of view. Um, and, and, yeah, man, it was a, a near miss. Um, one of those things I didn't put much much thought into, you know, it's a near miss, and you never want the game to come down to a Hail Mary to win, you know, just based on how we played as well um, offensively. But that's what it was, and we did have it, you know, and it was a near miss, and uh, – the fact that we were in that game is, you know, maybe another reason why our fans should continue to stick with us because we can, we can put it together and turn these games and and end up winning these um here down the road. So that's what we plan to do and and um and yeah. With the change from Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson, has anything changed about your game? Have your pass routes changed? Anything about how you go about what you're assigned to do? Is it different with Zach instead of Aaron Rodgers? Um. No, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things that that you're asked to do with Aaron that um, you, that you aren't asked to do with, you know, other things and vice versa. Um, for me, you know, I, I, my job is to make the quarterback's job as easy as possible. And that's how I've always, you know, kind of trying to look at it, look at it. Um, so, yeah, you know, making Aaron's job easier was different than making Zach's job easier. You know, and that's the best way I can put it. I, I got to figure out different ways ways to to um make that happen for for you know no matter who's throwing the ball but um but yeah you know that's how, how I look at it you know I got a few adjustments I got to make now to to do this to make that and just like when I was with playing with Aaron you know and that adjustment that I had to go through initially um to try and figure out how to make his job easy you know it's all a, a duality of it when it comes with uh, receiver quarterbacks you know last question until I let you go I know you're busy any message for Mac Jones for what he did to your teammate sauce Gardner with a little flick to the sensitive region i'm gonna stay away from that one because I, I don't <laughs> i mean so I'm, why you don't want him to do it to you in the next game next yeah i don't know i'm gonna let them handle that so. <laughs> um tell us what you got going on with marriott i talked about it briefly but i want to give you the chance to give us the full pitch for what fans can do to to get the ultimate new york jets fan room yeah man so um i've been blessed to work with courtyard by marriott and as far as fans getting access to it it's as simple as going on courtyard.com and booking this hotel room you know you can stay in this hotel room it's got things like my jerseys in this one um jets attire all over and, and it's right across from the stadium i mean it's the place for an ultimate jets fan um yeah so you know you can use this to segue into your next day and, and go to the game go tailgate go to a bar to watch the game whatever it may be but if you're a true jets fan and i know we got some out there man some really loyal fans you know, this is a place that you should come stay at night because it's truly special. And, um, and yeah. Sunday night, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs come to town. When you're on the sideline getting ready for the next drive, how much of a temptation will there be to go over and, and watch Patrick Mahomes do Patrick Mahomes things, or at least try to? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch. You know, I like to watch greatness. Um, so, you know, when we played Lamar in my first game, my rookie, the start of my rookie season, I watched, you know, when we played. 
um, Josh Allen earlier in the season. And every time we play him, you know, I watch and I like watching Stephon Diggs and stuff like, you know, just because to see what it looks like in person, it's really cool. And, and um, yeah, Mahomes is, is no exception, man. I can't wait to see what he puts on the field and, and have that challenge up against us to go match him on the other side, you know, being the offense, you know, we got to go match, you know, if we're going to be in this game, we got to score points. And um, I'm excited for the challenge, man. I know we all are. Well, Gary, you guys have been dealt a tough hand, but the reality is there's a new train coming down the tracks every week and keep at it. And hopefully it'll turn the right way. We appreciate some of your time. We wish you all the best. Congratulations on all your success. I mean, appreciate you, Mike. You take care, man. Thank you, brother. All right, thanks again to Garrett Wilson for including us on his media tour from Tuesday, day off when these guys have other opportunities to make a little money, and we support that. I'm a capitalist. If you got a chance to get paid by someone to talk about whatever, go get paid. All right, we're going to talk about whatever in response to some of these questions. PFTPM Posse, Jalen Hurts versus Jalen Fields. If Fields had the same ability, excuse me, same stability, system, franchise, coaching, et cetera, that Hurts has, do you think Fields would be as good or better than Hurts potentially. I don't know. I haven't seen enough from Fields to know. I do know that he's the most dangerous running threat at the quarterback position, or at least he was last year. Can he be developed into a passer? Something is missing in Chicago. Would it work for him with the Eagles? Would it work for him with the Chiefs? I think all the time about past quarterbacks who flamed out. Was it them or was it their circumstances? Was it something about their unwillingness to put in the time necessary that they hit a ceiling that they weren't able to get through physically or mentally? The game was just too fast and it never slowed down. Their arm just wasn't strong enough. They didn't process fast enough. They just couldn't throw it accurately enough. Is it that or is it these coaches did not take the lump of clay that college football gave to them and mold it into a great quarterback, recognizing the strengths? recognizing the weaknesses, designing the offense to get the most out of what the player does well, to conceal the things he doesn't do well, to help him get better at the things he doesn't do well. So he has no weaknesses. That's why I'm an opponent of the draft, even though it's never going away. If you're a quarterback, a great young quarterback, where you start your career has a huge impact on how your career goes. Think back to 1999. If Achilles Smith had landed with the Eagles, and Donovan McNabb had landed with the Bengals, would Smith have become a fringe Hall of Fame candidate? Would Smith have become a guy that went to four straight NFC championship games? Would Donovan McNabb have washed out of the NFL as fast as he washed out of the NFL after he left the tutelage of Andy Reid? So I think it's a fair question. I just think it's too early to know whether or not Justin Fields would be Jalen Hurts and whether or not Jalen Hurts would be Justin Fields if you flip them. But... In a time when we got some great quarterbacks approaching the NFL, I sure hope one of them becomes the one that, that lights the way for the others, that says, I'm not going to go to a bad situation. I'm not going to tie one hand behind my back as I try to make the most out of my NFL career. I can hope that that will happen because I want as many great quarterbacks as possible to come to the NFL and flourish and thrive. And what it does, if you're a bad team, and you get stiff-armed by that quarterback that you wanted to draft because your coaching isn't good enough, because your front office isn't good enough, because the team isn't good enough, because the organization is dysfunctional. Nothing like that kind of accountability to get teams to try to become dysfunctional or less dysfunctional or sell the team to someone who will be able to turn things around. You get a better league. You get a more competitive league if some of these bad teams 
realize they can't just sit back and be bad and hope that eventually they're going to find their savior in the form of a Joe Burrow. Curtis Schumann, or maybe Schumann. Any word from the league if they will stop showing two games at the same time on Mondays just to boost their ratings numbers. I think there's one more game this year with two simultaneous overlapping Monday night games. I don't like it. I've made that clear. I like one game at a time, and I definitely don't like having two games on and they go split screen on one of them, and that one is ahead of the other game that I have. I don't like that. One game at a time, and if you feel compelled to have overlapping games because you want to lump all of the ratings numbers into one bucket, which is what ESPN and ABC are doing, oh, 22 million total viewers over two games. Okay, okay. Think about your customers. Think about their needs. Think about what they want. Have they done any focus groups or polling about that? I can't imagine that diehard football fans, ardent football fans, would be happy with having to watch two games at once because you feel like you never get the full experience. I want to watch all of one game. Give them to me back-to-back on Monday night. Give me Monday night, Tuesday night. Give me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Give me a game every night of the week except Friday and Saturday because under the Sports Broadcasting Act of 1961, that's not permitted lest the NFL lose its broadcast antitrust exemption. I'll take a game any night I can get one. I don't like having two games on at once in prime time. Throughout the day on Sunday, that's the way football is. Prime time, I want one game. Another one from Curtis Schumann, whatever happened with the Naheem Hines situation in Buffalo, wasn't there rumors of them holding pay because of the jet ski accident? Are we all good here? I think as it stands, the Bills aren't paying him. They put him on the non-football injury list. He's got litigation that was filed against whoever it was that ran into him while he was on that jet ski or whatever it's called. Somebody sent me an email saying it's really not a jet ski. That's a specific type. It was this, that, watercraft. I don't know. Regardless, he got injured away from work. When you're put on the non-football injury or illness list, the team, if it wants to, cannot pay you. That's what the Bills decided to do. And Hines has the ability to pursue what he would have made from the Bills, from whoever it was that caused him to be injured and not be able to play. Here's Jeremy Dodd. Would the owners and the NFLPA support games on Wednesday and Thursday with the teams having a bye prior to those games? The league week would start on Wednesday and get 16 standalone games during the week, plus the players get extended rest prior and afterwards. I, I have an idea, and I want to sit down and map it out. Every year about this time, there's an argument about short week football, about doing it in a way so the teams that play on Thursday night always have the prior Sunday off. Now, the problem that creates is late in the year, it screws up the whole flexing thing, which is now a big component. I, you know, I haven't done it because I look at it as a waste of time to try to come up with an idea that would make it more equitable, that would make it safer, that would give teams an opportunity to be fully prepared for these games instead of going Sunday to Thursday. It's a waste of time because the NFL is not going to do it. The NFL has secured all permissions from the union to proceed Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. They've now got multiple teams that are playing at least two short week games, although the Bears are one of them this year. Congratulations for that, NFL and Amazon. But I don't see them changing anything. It's not worth the time to propose a solution to a problem that the NFL refuses to acknowledge. And they won't acknowledge it. They won't. 
They think it's fine because the injury rate on Sundays is no different than the injury rate on Thursdays, which is misleading, which is gaslighting, which is not an accurate depiction of whether or not it makes sense to have NFL players play a game Sunday and a game Thursday and be fully prepared to play a game Thursday and be ready to play on Thursday if they have an injury that would have allowed them to play on Sunday, but they can't play on Thursday. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but it doesn't matter. That's the point. It doesn't matter. The NFL is going to continue to do what it's doing, and now it has the power to flex in some games late in the year, and I think it, we will see it happen because when you look at the schedule this year, I wrote a post about this right before I started taping this episode of PFTPM. It's not good. After this week, look away. There are some bad Thursday night games this year. It'll be interesting to see what Al Michaels has to say about them during the broadcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Tom Marshall, A Red Zone UK, did ja, uh, did ja, da, da. did Mike McDaniel's decision to leave points on the field actually twist the dagger a little deeper into Sean Payton and the Broncos? I don't think so. And look, I thought maybe Mike McDaniel was flashing a middle finger to Peyton and also to Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, because Ross wanted to hire Peyton last year. Ross wanted to do the Sean Peyton, Tom Brady package deal. The tampering that occurred because of that cost McDaniel and GM Chris Greer a first round pick this year. And I asked Raheem Mostert about it after the game, whether he'd heard any talk about Daniel trying to stick it to Peyton because they wanted to hire Peyton. And Mostert genuinely and authentically, I believe, said, uh, that's the first time I'm ever hearing that. He sounded surprised. So if McDaniel was trying to stick it to Peyton, he kept his mouth shut about it. And I don't think that that not kicking the three points makes it worse. Uh, because it still saved Peyton and the Broncos from giving up more points than anyone in league history in a regular season game. Dr. J144, we talk a lot about how soon can you tell when a quarterback just doesn't have it one year, two years. What about head coaches? Matt Eberflus, for instance, is three and 17. How much more do we need to see to know he isn't a head coach? Well, ultimately, that comes down to what the Bears are willing to do. But a very real reality, very real reality, I'll go with that, in the NFL is something that comes from one of the chapters of Playmakers, the Peter Principle, a satirical point articulated in a novel in the late 60s that we all rise to the level of our own incompetence. 
Because think about it. You keep getting promoted. Hey, you did a job well. You get promoted. Do that job well. You get promoted. Do that job well. You get promoted. You do that job well. You get promoted. All right. Time for the next job. Time for the big jump. Time for the thing that changes everything. Oh, you're not as good as as you you were at other jobs, at this job. That's what happens in the NFL. Coordinator and head coach, very different jobs. You position yourself to be a head coach by being a great coordinator, even though the skill sets are entirely different. And at some point, yeah, the conclusion is made, this guy just can't get it done. How long are the Bears willing to be patient? What kind of players can they get? It all comes down to the players. You suddenly become a much better coach if you have great players. Like Dick Vermeil said when he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, I became a much smarter coach when I got Marshall Falk on my team. Look at, look at Robert Sala in New York. Things were great with Aaron Rodgers. Now you got Joe Namath calling for Sala to be fired. Why? Because one guy got injured. That's it. Great player makes all the difference in the world. Stuart McCulloch, what's wrong with the Cowboys red zone offense? Is it the difference in play calling between Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore personnel, psychological, or just a blip? I think it's too early to come to any broad conclusions. We're only three games in. What happens, though, with some of these early season trends, they can become a thing because the team starts thinking about it. The opponents start thinking about it. Maybe you try a little too hard to fix it and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse, but it's definitely an issue. I don't know whether it's going to last or not. We just need to talk about something based on the first three weeks. And for the Cowboys, that's one of the biggest problems that stands out for a team that otherwise is in pretty good shape. Another one from Tom Marshall, a red zone UK. I'm heading to Jags versus Falcons on Wembley or at Wembley on Sunday. Who needs the win more? I think the Jaguars need it more. They're one and two. They weren't supposed to be. They're in a a tough conference, not necessarily a tough division, but they can't afford to get in too deep of a hole. They've got the Colts coming up in a few weeks after they get back from London, but they need to to get that spark. Last year, it was the loss to the Broncos in London that gave Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars the spark they needed to get to the playoffs. They're underachieving so far this year. There were people who pegged them as the number one seed because of the ease of schedule. The fact that we were kind of overlooking this team that seemed to be on the rise. Isn't that how it goes for the Jaguars? Every time it seems like they're on the rise, the bottom falls out. We'll see what happens, but they need this one more. Falcons are in a weak division in the weaker conference. They can afford to lose this one and still find a way to contention. If the Jaguars fall to one and three, and then the Bills game, if that doesn't go well, you're one and four. You got a problem coming home to face the Colts, a team that was beating the Jaguars in the second half after that DeForest Buckner fumble return for a touchdown. And it looked like the Colts were going to win that game back in week one. RB Roughnecks, AKA Hunter Wallace. What do you think, or who do you think is the first veteran, not rookie coach fired? I think it's in order of heat. Kevin Stefanski, Matt Eberflus, Brandon Staley, Mike McCarthy, Sean McDermott, Riverboat Ron may get axed just because of new ownership, but maybe not until the offseason out of respect. I don't know who's going to get fired during the season. I still think it's too early to make those kinds of conclusions. Brandon Staley got a win, which is helpful. The Browns are looking pretty good right now. If they can play more like they did week one and three and not week two, Kevin Stefanski won't be in trouble. I don't know what Kevin Warren, the new president of the Bears, is going to do about Matt Eberflus. Could he be fired during the season? Who would take over for him? It's just a bad situation all around. I don't think Jerry Jones fires Mike McCarthy during the season. There isn't really anyone that stands out to me as this person is in grave danger of being fired this year. There's only four teams left that haven't won a game, and I think all four of those coaches are in good shape. Kevin O'Connell, 
Sean Payton, Frank Reich, Matt Eberflus is the only one that I would be concerned about. And with all the embarrassments off the field, that could make it all come together and create a situation where the Bears do make an in-season change. Delete Brow, a.k.a. Leapers 500, is George Payton in trouble? He's the GM of the Broncos, obviously. Who are the hot GM candidates as of now? And who would you like to see get a real chance? I, I don't know who the hot GM candidates are as of right now. And I try to avoid the business of getting behind relatively obscure front office people. I'll leave that to others in the media who are engaged in a thinly veiled effort to enhance their own access or to trade favors, get information, whatever the case may be, by championing the cause of somebody who's trying to become a GM. I'd like to think, well, not that I have anything against George Payton, but I'd like to think there's some scrutiny being applied and that he could be in some sort of jeopardy with Sean Payton. There were rumors that after the draft, Sean Payton was going to bring in his own GM. If what's happening in Denver is a result of the decisions made by personnel, at some point, the guy in charge of personnel is going to be accountable. We'll see. But after what happened on Sunday in Miami, I'd say everybody's in trouble in Denver if this continues. The easiest path is to end it and get a win in Chicago, try to turn this thing around. Amused to death, Mike, you said the Jets don't have what it would cost to get Kirk Cousins. What would it take? Isn't his deal up at the end of the year? Seems like a great fit for both. It's not a great fit for the Vikings. They're still alive. And even if they keep losing, someone told me earlier, and I need to check on this, the Vikings have never been 0-5. If they lose to the Panthers, 0-5 is looking pretty likely because the Chiefs come to town. But you go from Kirk Cousins to Nick Mullins or Jaron Hall, all of a sudden those close games aren't going to be as close, and it's not going to be because, be because you're winning them. I don't think the Vikings, even though they're ready to move on from Kirk Cousins after the season, and would only get compensatory draft pick consideration for him in 2025. I don't think that makes the Vikings ready to trade him now. And why would the Jets want to do it? What would, what would it take? I don't know, but the Jets have a second round pick and a first round pick tied up as the condition of this Aaron Rodgers trade. And we know it's going to be the second round pick, but you can't start sending other picks. You just can't do that. I don't, I think they're both tied up until the regular season ends and the condition of playing time at 65% becomes official. So it's just pie in the sky. It's not going to happen. And Cousins has a no trade clause. Maybe he'd want to do it. I don't know. Do you think he wants to jump into the dysfunction that is the Jets right now? The offensive line is bad. It's worse than the Vikings offensive line. I'm not sure he'd want that. His best play is to have the best season possible he can statistically and hope that leads to a huge payday on the open market. He's not going to compete for a Super Bowl. I don't know that he ever will, but he can go get paid a hell of a lot of money by someone else like he has over and over again throughout his career. John Kasich, with the excessive amount of fights happening each week, should NFL teams consider adding visiting team sections similar to college football? I, I just think they should do a better job, John, of securing the stadium. More police or other security personnel. Prevent these fights. Get involved more quickly. Be responsive when you get a complaint about someone's behavior. Nip these things in the bud. Be monitoring all the camera angles. Have more cameras there so there's somebody sitting in a room looking at all the cameras for any sign that something is moving in the wrong direction so you can deploy someone to go break it up before somebody gets injured or killed. And I don't care if there's visiting team sections or not. 
you go online, you buy your tickets. Look, these visiting teams are taking over stadiums because the home team's fans are selling their tickets. I suspect there's going to be a lot of Chiefs fans on Sunday night. How many Jets fans do you think are going to want to go to that game when Patrick Mahomes and company come to town and kick the shit out of the Jets when they could just sell those tickets to Chiefs fans who are in the New York area who or who will travel to New York to go see the game? So I don't think you can ever solve it other than with better security and a greater recognition of the responsibility to take care of your paying customers. We talked about that last week on PFTPM. Why don't teams, why don't more teams carry a backup quarterback with opposing skills of their starting quarterback? How often does a backup game manager type come in and steady the ship successfully for a month? Do you think these quarterbacks would be more successful in short-term spot starts or mid-game fill-ins? I'm a firm believer in having a backup with a skill set that is identical as possible to the starter. Because you can't just think about what it means for the quarterback. You got to think about what it means for everybody else on offense. And if you're just plugging a new guy in who does the same things as the starter, it's easier for the pass catchers. It's easier for the blockers. It's easier for the running backs. It's easier for everyone. So my preference is have a backup or two who can do exactly what and play the same way your starter plays. Amused to death. Hey, Mike, any chance we can rename the Eagles tush push to brotherly shove? Maybe then it will be better received nationally. I don't care about the name. I don't like the play. I think it takes advantage of the rules. It capitalizes on a rule change that wasn't meant to allow shoving a quarterback past the line to gain. I think this is the last year it's going to be around because I think that 24 owners will come together and say enough. The other teams aren't doing it. The Eagles are the ones doing it. And the Eagles may not like it, but I think it's going to be taken away. I still think the Eagles will be very good at quarterback sneaks, but going to take away that element of pushing from behind. Dr. J144, should we expect an outside the lines type report on Alan Williams in like a year? I'm not satisfied with the resolution of that. It definitely feels like the Bears are hiding something from us. I look at it this way. If there is something bigger going on, we'll find out about it. when charges are filed. Some way, somehow, there will be further activities that make it clear whatever it was that was going on. And, you know, on one hand, it's a private matter. On the other hand, you take a, a very public job with a very public organization where a lot of people are invested, a lot of people care. The idea of brushing it all under the rug and keeping it all secret, I don't think it's acceptable, especially in an age where we should be embracing transparency in all aspects of professional sport because of all the money they get for their stadiums and because of the fact that people are now gambling legally on every pro sport. Fargo 800, do you think Mac Jones should be punished for his actions against Sauce Gardner? If so, suspension or fine? Well, it's already been leaked by the NFL to one of the NFL employees who cover the NFL that Mac Jones won't be suspended. I don't know if they see enough to find him. You know, if we give any credence to what we heard last week about Deshaun Watts and what we couldn't tell, what, what was it? It wasn't that we couldn't tell with certainty. They, they just they said it was something that it wasn't. They said it was inadvertent when he shoved away the official, which is just bullcrap. They couldn't tell with 100% certainty that Trent Williams of the 49ers punched an opponent in the face, even though I don't know what more you, you needed to see. These camera angles, you could say, if you want to give this guy a pass, are inconclusive. But it keeps happening with Mac Jones. He gets accused of something, and there's an explanation. Then he gets accused of something, and there's an explanation. At some point, the guy isn't being persecuted. At some point, the sheer number of accusations should tell people of sound mind and reasonable disposition, there's a problem with this person. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Boy, that could apply to other things. Just the sheer number of 
credible, plausible, legitimate accusation. It all can't be a witch hunt. And at some point they found a witch. And Mac Jones may want to wear that pointy hat before he passes along to anyone else. Because I saw enough in the context of the video that's out there, even though it's not 100% certain, he did what he did. Why would Sauce Gardner make that up? Why would he make that up? I think he did it. I think he's got a dirty streak. And until he gets busted for it, he's going to keep doing it. All right, that's it for today. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll do it again next Wednesday. I keep the door ajar to do it on Fridays in season if there's something big enough that compels me to do it or if we would get some interview or something like that. For now, though, it's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. We'll see you Thursday morning for PFT Live and also the Joint Megapix podcast with Chris Sims as we pick every game straight up and against the spread. Busy Thursday morning, plenty of content, and as always, we appreciate you consuming some of it, any of it, or all of it. longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.